Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that uh, you would be our vision. Father, I pray that you would uh, be number one in our hearts and lives. Father, I pray that everything we do would all be for your glory and honor. Father, I pray now that as we open your word, Lord, I pray that your word would uh, prick our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would be open to the message this morning. Father, I pray, especially now, Lord, I pray that you would feed your people. Lord, I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. We're still talking about the church in Antioch. And just to stir you up by way of remembrance, the church in Antioch is the first uh, Gentile church that we know of. The, this Gentile church was started by Jews that were scattered because of the persecution of Stephen. And so Stephen has, got, has been martyred. Uh, believers have spread out from Jerusalem. There's been a church started in Antioch amongst Gentiles. The church in Jerusalem hears about it, so they send Barnabas to go investigate, make sure that the church is going to be well-grounded. Barnabas goes to that church in Antioch, realizes that God is indeed doing a great work there at Antioch. And so he goes and he finds Paul. He searches out, finds Paul, brings Paul back, and Paul and Barnabas stay here at the church in Antioch for over a year, preaching and teaching the Word of God and building up this church. Everybody with me? And so now we're going to read more about what's going on at this church in Antioch. Also, just so you know, if you've been following through the book of Acts, book of Acts chapters 1 through 12 largely deals with Peter. We're going to talk about Peter a little bit more in Acts chapter 15 in what we call the Jerusalem Council. But for the most part, Peter is faded from the scene. And now you're going to see the spread of the church from the Gentile church in Antioch. So we pick up and we're not going to cover a lot of a lot of verses this week. We're only going to cover uh, chapter 13, one through verses one through three. And so here we go. Acts chapter 13, verse one. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there. Prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Serene, and Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you have this church in Antioch, and there's a handful of leaders. These are some of the leaders that he gives you. You have a man by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas was also give, Barnabas's name wasn't originally Barnabas, if you remember. He was given that name by the apostles, a name that means son of encouragement. Barnabas is the same guy who convinces the apostles that it's okay for Paul to come in and be part of the group. Remember, Saul gets saved in a dramatic fashion. Everybody's afraid of him. Barnabas is the one that says, listen, gang, give him a chance. Come in, hear what the Lord has done in his life. Barnabas is the one that the church chose to send to Antioch to encourage them along in the founding years, the first founding years of the church. Then you have a man named Simeon who is also called Niger. Niger means black. So Simeon is from northern Africa. So you have a Jewish man named Barnabas. You also have a black man named Simeon who's from Africa. You have a man called Lucius of Serene. If you were to find Libya in North Africa on the map, that's right below wherever Thessalonica is. So Thessalonica is up high. You cross above a bot. You cross a body of water, come to northern Africa in Libya. That's where this man is from, this Lucius of Serene. So you have here a big swath of people who are from all different ethnic backgrounds in this first church in Antioch. You have Barnabas, you have Simeon, you have Lucius, 
you have a man named Menean who had been brought up with Herod the, Herod the Tetrarch. This man named Menean, he's not Herod the Excuse me, let me back up. Herod the Tetrarch is Herod the Great's son. This is the Herod who's ruling and reigning during the Gospels. Herod the Great is the one who tried to kill all the babies. The reason that Jesus' parents fled to Africa. Herod the Tetrarch is the one who ruled kind of in the middle during the Gospels. And then there's a different Herod who's ruling right now. So this Herod right here, who Menean is kin to, he would have grown up in the household of Herod the Great. He would have been foster brothers with Herod the Tetrarch. This word here uh, says, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Some of your Bibles may say lifelong friends. The word is that, that he was a foster-brother. And so he grew up like a brother with Herod the Tetrarch. So he would have been an uncle to the Herod who's on the throne now persecuting Christians. Everybody following me? A little head nod would be really helpful. Good deal. A head nod this way, not this way, right? Right? So, you have a man named Herod the Tetrarch who comes from royalty. And then you have Saul, who's later going to be known as Paul. Can you imagine this motley crew of people? You have two from Africa, very different places in Africa. You have some who are Jews that are from, from Pharisaical backgrounds in Saul. And so, I just want you to see this wide group of people. And I want you to see how this wide group of people is all getting along because they have one thing in mind. That's the furtherance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what brings unity within believers in Jesus Christ. It's that we're all saved by the same Jesus and we all want that same name of Jesus to be spread out to the ends of the earth by whatever means possible. So you have all of these guys and it says... While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. And so, interestingly enough, Jesus never commands you to fast as a follower of his. However, Jesus says the words, when you fast. And so he doesn't command you to fast. He's assuming that you're already doing it and that you will continue to do it. So he gives you instructions on how you should do it. And so these men... And the church, they're ministering to the Lord, so they're fulfilling, they're using their gifts that God has given them to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they're ministering to the Lord. When you minister to someone, you're meeting their needs. We are, as an organization called the church, defined as the body of Christ. Following me? And so we are to minister to the Lord by being his body here on earth. We're to be his hands, his feet, his mouthpiece. We're supposed to be doing the very things that Jesus would be doing if he were here on this earth. That's how you minister to the Lord. So whenever you're in a given situation and something is asked of you, and you do it in such a way as if you're doing it unto the Lord, that is you ministering to the Lord. Whenever you do something in the same way that Jesus would do it, you're ministering to the Lord. So they're ministering to the Lord, and fasting is a part of their daily routine, right? So they're not fasting every day, but at times, they're going to abstain from food so that they can seek the Lord. And while they were doing this, the Holy Spirit said, this is middle of verse 2. I'll start in the beginning of verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so there's this group of people. The church, not just the leaders of the church, but the whole church. They're ministering to the Lord. They're being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. They're praying. They're fasting. 
and they're open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in their life. So there's an open conduit between them and God. Their prayers are going up to God and they've made themselves physically available to do whatever it is that God calls them to do through prayer and fasting. And the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And who knows what this is like. But I can tell you that when the Holy Spirit has spoken in my life, it hasn't been audible, but it's been a conviction that I cannot get away from. And it's been a conviction that when I opened up God's Word and read God's Word, God's Word affirmed that new and hard conviction that was in my life. That's what it looked like in my life, the Holy Spirit speaking into it. So the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So these men are ministering to the Lord. They're fasting. The church is doing that. And then the Holy Spirit speaks. Now, shouldn't we listen when the Holy Spirit speaks? Because the church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church and the Holy Spirit is going to be what is inside of you, convicting you of sin and steering you through your life. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks, you have the third member of the Godhead trying to direct his church. And so he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. And at this point in church life, you would get together a committee to say, time out, bad idea. We can't set apart Paul and Barnabas. We need Paul and Barnabas here. What would we do as a church without Paul and Barnabas, right? Like we need to keep, we need to keep our church strong and we need to send out other people that Paul and Barnabas can train up, but keep Paul and Barnabas here so that we can send other people in the spirit of Paul and Barnabas. But when you begin to do that, you're not letting Jesus steer his church. It's a dangerous place to be. So the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then, verse 3, when they, the church, had fasted and prayed, so they heard from the Lord through prayer and fasting, then it seems that they're going to pray and fast, and they're going to confirm exactly what it is that God had for them to do. So when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. And this is how you have the first missionary journey of the church at Antioch going out, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. You have praying and fasting going on. You have obedience by the church. And then you have Paul and Barnabas who are going to go on three different missionary journeys and they're going to take the gospel as far as Rome, which is the ends of the earth as far as they're concerned. And I want you to see how the early church works. There's a group of people that are interested first and foremost in obeying the Lord and taking his message to the ends of the earth. They're praying together. They're fasting together. Then when they're praying and fasting together, they're obedient to the word of God. And God blesses all of that along the way. And that's your blueprint for the early church. If you were going to start a church and you wanted it to be wildly successful, my advice to you would be give yourself to the, to the apostles' teaching, right? Stay in the word, pray and fast, Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit directs you to do, do it and trust God to bless you along the way. That's, that's, that's rock solid advice. I can save you years worth of reading church growth books and just tell you that when you let the Holy Spirit have his will and his way with you, you may not be successful in man's eyes, but you will be headed perfectly for that well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? All right. I also want you to see something here from this man, Menean.
this is back up in the middle of verse 1, almost to the end of verse 1. You have a very little snippet about him. You have, there's a man named Menean, middle of verse 1, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And so he lived in the royal house. He would have been brothers with the king. And I want you to see that each of these kings hated the gospel. Each of these kings hated Jesus. And I just want you to see that there's this little snippet in there about Menean, who used to be tight with Herod the Tetrarch. The idea is that now he's not. And I want you to see that he only gets a little snippet in the scriptures. But I want you to know that following Jesus would have cost him dearly. To go from the king's house to now the king is putting followers of Jesus in prison. And last week, one was just beheaded because of the king. And so now this man has a nephew who's in the habit and ritual of killing Christians until the point at which God took him out. You following me? Costly. It costs something to follow Jesus. And so what I want to do now is, through the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, this chapter grieved me more than you could ever imagine. So I read this chapter, and almost to the point of tears reading it, was just sad about a handful of things. And I want to share those things that grieved me with you now. And uh, I want you just to, just to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. I'm going to show you through the things that I say the proper way to respond because you might not know. Okay, that's not belittling anybody. I don't want anybody to jump to conclusions about anything I'm going to say. I want to share some things with you that are that are deep on my heart. And these are things that I don't feel get shared until a pastor resigns from a church. Now, hear me well. This is not Pastor Bobby resigning from the church. Okay, Everybody give me an up and down head nod to make sure you realize that I am not resigning from our church. But I want to share with you some things that grieve me about our church based on this passage. Okay? So, having said that, hopefully I've put you at ease. Before I start, I want to share with you some things that would be wrong to do with what I share you. If you stir up confusion based on the things I'm about to share with you, that would be wrong. That would be sinful. So I'm sharing with you as a pastor to a church member things that are on my heart. They're not on other people's heart. And so if I say some things that maybe you don't understand or that don't make perfect sense, the person that I would like for you to clear them up with is me. Okay? I wouldn't like you to spread confusion, wonder what I'm talking about or anything like that. Everybody following me? That the proper thing to do is to not gossip about these things, is but to ask me. Hopefully they're going to make perfect sense. And hopefully after I share them with you, the way that we can come through them will be very godly. I think, and I'm not going to stand up here when I list the three things. I think personally, I have been failing somewhat as a pastor over the last year. Okay? I think my sermons have kind of gone downhill. And part of the reason that I think my sermons have gone downhill, and I'm blaming all of this on me, okay? There should be a way for me to adapt and overcome this, even though I'm going to share with you the reason. I think that our church is in a sinful state, okay? That's why I've been preaching a lot about repentance. I'm 35 years old. I've never led a church before. Not as the senior guy. 
I don't know how to lead a church through a, through a season of repentance, but I know that we're in a season of sin and that we need to come out of it. Okay? I'm taking full responsibility as the, as the leader of our church for not knowing exactly how to get out of it. But I want you to know as the church body that there's some things that I've done to try to get us headed in the right direction. And I want you to know how they've turned out so that we as a church can repent and we can get headed in the right direction. And so these are the things that I want to share with you. And I don't want to share them from, from up here. I want you to listen to me from down here because this is, this is us together. Okay? We just had a season of revival, right? We had a series of services. Brother Royce Williams came in and he preached. And he preached a message that, uh, that I was really listening to. And I was really encouraged by. And I felt like you who came were also encouraged by. Brother Royce made a comment about how churches should be led. About how churches should be led by men of God who are praying, seeking the will of the Lord. And they're leading out of what the Lord is doing in their lives. And I want you all to know that I have tried to lead out of what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. And I am not, listen to me very closely, this is not a condemnation on anyone. At the end of this message, what I'm going to tell you is that the book of James says that if, we're, if we will confess our sin, he's faithful and he'll forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so when I share these things with you, this is not a gavel saying that things are over. This is a waypoint saying, hey, we're headed in the wrong direction and we need to repent and turn and get right. At the beginning of the year, things were going bad here. Okay. I was walking by Sunday school classes and I was overhearing church members say things like, can you believe Pastor Bobby said this? Can you believe Pastor Bobby said this? And I was in a season of, I would go back and I would listen to my sermons because I would think there's no way that I said what they think I said. And I didn't. A lot of times, people were hearing things that I didn't say. And so what I did is I went to our deacons and I said, deacons, I would like to do this. I've been up all night praying. I'd like to take a break from preaching for four weeks. I'm praying, I've sought the Lord, and I haven't slept at all tonight. And this is what I came up with. It doesn't make sense to me. I've never seen it, but this is where I feel like that we should do. Let me take four weeks off from preaching. I'll still do everything else. Let me bring in a guest speaker because everybody at our church is hearing things that I'm not saying, and it seems to be causing more damage. And it was declined. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just telling you that these are things... That grieve me as a pastor when I'm up all night praying and I say, brothers, this is where I feel like we are as a church. This is what we need to do. And it gets declined. And the reason it got declined is because we don't know how we would explain it to the people. And brothers and sisters, if we're going to move forward, sometimes because I prayed and fasted has to be good enough. It has to be. Spitting in dirt, rubbing it on somebody's eyes doesn't make a bit of sense. But Jesus did it. So that the rest of the world could see the great power of God. I love each of our deacons. I'm not throwing any of them under the bus. I want you to know that. We've got some that are supportive. And we have some that maybe aren't so supportive. But I want you to know where I am as a pastor before I stand behind that pulpit and tell you that God's done with me here. Because I think that every single thing that I'm telling you is redeemable and we can be stronger as a result of it. Right? So none of this is to throw rocks. This is to say, hey, come on, let's go the right direction. 
Number two, I thought we did something really good at the beginning of this year. We prayed and fasted in January. We sought the Lord. We prayed and fasted, and we heard the Lord say that we needed to seek unity as a church. If you were there, you knew it plain as day. We fasted for four Wednesdays. The first two Wednesdays were okay. We didn't get a whole lot of message from the Lord. The word was for individuals. What God laid on each of our heart was that we needed to be spending more time in prayer. We needed to be spending more time in God's word. The third week, God began to stir some things in our hearts about us as a, ch- us as a church. And then the third, excuse me, then the fourth week, Everybody who came and participated and opened up their Bible was led to a different passage that had the word unity in it. And it was obvious that God had pricked every person's heart that was praying and fasting for our church that we needed to be seeking unity. And so we left January. I left January really excited that I was a pastor who had led our church in prayer and fasting. We sought the word of the Lord and listened to me. I'm going to confess something to you. I was doubtful that this whole thing was going to work. Okay? But I've read my Bible enough times to know that, that when you pray and fast, God answers. Right? The model for church growth is that you take your pastor and he takes a couple other people. They leave town, pray fast. They get a vision for the church and then they come back and deliver it to the church. But I knew that wouldn't work here. I knew it needed to be something that we all did together so everyone owned the vision from the Lord. And at the end of January, I couldn't have been more excited. Even as lousy as things were going, I couldn't have been more excited that we heard from the Lord and that we were to seek unity as a church. Over the course of the next month, I got pretty sad and aggravated and almost depressed as your pastor because leader after leader in our church came to me and said, you need to stop talking about unity because it's making people mad. And I just want to say that if we're going to stick together for the long haul with me as your pastor... When the Holy Spirit speaks and it makes you mad, with all due respect, I don't care. You have a problem to get right with the Lord between you and Him, not us as a church. That's with the utmost respect. And so leader after leader said, don't don't talk about unity. Use a different word. It's making people mad. Even some of my well-meaning friends said, listen, we don't need unity tomorrow. We just need to be working on unity. And I want you to see from Acts chapter 13, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. They prayed, fasted, and they set Paul and Barnabas loose. How's the story read if Paul and Barnabas stick around for two years and wait until they're ready? No. The Holy Spirit said, set Paul and Barnabas loose. Send them out now. And they left now. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that if we don't pursue unity and find it as a group, I'll be on medicine for depression within another two months. That's not a joke. I'm dead serious. I guarantee you if I went to the doctor right now, he would say that you show all the signs of burnout and depression and you should let me put you on a low dose of something. And why? Because I sit in my office week after week and I want to pursue the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the things that we do get the brakes put on them. I'm going to tell you about the the last one. This one's going to be the hardest to tell you about. 
I've been walking us as a church, church leadership, through how to handle conflict for five years. I've been sharing biblical principles about how to handle conflict. And we haven't been doing any of them. I point to things in Scripture, and I hear things from our leadership team like, we've never done it that way before. And brothers and sisters, I can't listen to we haven't done it that way before when Jesus says in your Bible in red letters how we're supposed to be doing it. And with the utmost respect, if we've never done it that way before, the way that Jesus says to do it, we've been doing it wrong. And that's not a, that's not a judge striking a gavel saying that anyone's a bad person. That's just saying that we need to do some honest reflection. And if we're going to be the church that God's calling us to be, the only way you're going to do it is to do it the way that God says to do it. Otherwise, you have a club. And I'm telling you out of love, I don't want to be a part of a club. I don't want my wife to be a part of a club. I don't want my kids to be part of a club. I want my kids to know that we go to church so that we can become more like Jesus and so that we can make Jesus famous around the world. I want my kids to know that when you go to a church, it doesn't matter the type of music they sing because they're not worshiping you. They're worshiping the God who sent His Son to this earth to die for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins and you could take that hope to the rest of the world. I don't want to be a pastor of a church that squabbles with each other. I want taking Jesus to the ends of the earth to be our heartbeat. And I don't feel like I can help you very much longer until we repent as a church. I don't. You say, well, I didn't make any of those decisions that you're talking about. If you vote in a deacon election, then you're responsible also for the decisions that are being made at our church. Okay? I'm not blaming all of this on our deacons either. Don't hear me say that. You following me? I just want you to know that we are in a string as a church of making decisions that make sense to man, but they don't make any sense to God. I want to read another passage to you real quick. This is out of the book of Proverbs. If you say, Pastor, I'm not happy with the things that you said, and I want to put forth every effort I can to get out of that situation. Listen to this. This is Proverbs chapter 3. This is Solomon talking to his son. My son, remember Solomon's the wisest man who's ever lived. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your, command, let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Listen to this. This is something that I think that our church struggles with a lot. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And then listen to this. Listen to the hope that this verse brings. And it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. 
in all your ways acknowledge him. Don't lean on your own understanding. He'll make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And the promise is that it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Brothers and sisters, as long as Jesus is still on the throne, and he is, he's seated right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, right? As long as Jesus is on his throne, there is hope for any individual and any church that will turn from its going its own direction and turn to him. And I want you to know as your pastor that the only hope we have of turning our church around is to acknowledge our sin and to repent of it and start to lean on God and not our own understanding. That's the only hope. That's the only hope for the church down the street. That's the only hope for this church here. And that's the only hope for the church around the world is to not lean on your own understanding, but to trust the Lord and acknowledge him in all you do. And I just want you to know that we're not doing that right now. And I tell you that out of love. And the reason I tell you like I am is because deep down inside of me, when I pray and fast, my heart's desire sometimes is that God would lead me to a church that's willing to follow wherever God wants to go. That's my heart's desire. But when I pray and fast, God says, stick with them. Stick with them a little longer. Stick with them a little longer. And stick with them a little longer. Listen to me, church. I'm telling you this because I love you. If I was walking in the flesh, I would put a for sale sign in my yard right now. And I would move. And I would find friends who love Jesus and encourage me to follow Jesus in whatever I do. I can't bear the burden of going to more meetings where people don't have a regard for what God's word says. I can't do it. I won't do it for my kids. I don't want them to see it. I love you. If you're here and you're a deacon, I want you to know that I love you from the bottom of my heart. This is not a condemnation on anyone in particular or any group in particular. This is a plea from a pastor before he quits. To please seek the Lord in all you do. Sometimes our deacons don't make the decisions that they should because they know that it will result in a lot of grumbling and complaining and sometimes they take the easy way out because of that because they bear a difficult burden as well and so I want to stick up for them in the same note if I say any more I'll be rambling this is what I want to do if your heart is pricked right if this touches home that's a good thing okay it's a good thing Let's repent together, okay? I've got things I need to repent of. Our church does too. If this message makes you mad, okay, if it doesn't sit well within your heart, there's a problem in your heart, okay? Because everything I just said came out of a heart of love and compassion. I've said things from the pulpit before, and I've heard people say, well, I didn't think you meant it, okay? My wife could give me a brand new deep sea fishing boat tomorrow and you wouldn't get much more emotion that you've seen this morning than on Christmas morning. You can ask her. I don't, I don't cry a lot. But I'm telling you, this is from the bottom of my heart. I love you. I want 
Cashaw Baptist Church to be a city on a hill that people can look to and they can get hope in Jesus, their Savior. Okay? Just because we come to the altar now and we pray together doesn't mean that this thing is over and it's better. Menean had some tough decisions when he walked away from the royal family. And there's going to be some tough decisions ahead where we turn from doing things as a church man's way and we turn to doing them God's way. Right now, Satan has a stronghold on us. And when we loose that stronghold, you had better believe that he's going to fight tooth and nail to get it back. I just want you to be ready for it. Now, I'm going to close us with a, a brief word of prayer. John and Betsy are going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. And we're just going to sing whatever song it is until everybody's done praying and doing business with the Lord. You may have people that you need to have conversations with, or you may have people that you need to go to, and you need to schedule some time to have a conversation with them. You may just want to come to the altar and get things right. But listen to me, brothers and sisters. Don't let this be the end of what God is stirring in your heart. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you loved us while we were sinners. We didn't look good. We didn't smell good. We didn't act good. But out of the love you have for us, you sent him to pay the penalty for our sins. And Ephesians says that you paid the penalty for our sins while we were still happy in our sin. And God, we cannot fathom that sort of love. Lord, I pray that the message that was shared this morning would be hopeful, not harmful. Lord, I pray for us as a church. Lord, I pray that you would give our men confidence and boldness to stand on your word and to lead these people according to your word, not man's wisdom. God, I pray that you would do a great and mighty work amongst us. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see souls saved. I pray that you would allow us to see souls sent around the world as missionaries. I pray that we would raise up pastors and teachers and evangelists. And Father, I pray that Windsor would know that there's a God because of the great and mighty works of God that are done through this body. Lord, I pray that you would lead each of us through your Holy Spirit to do exactly what you've called us to do in this moment. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand for our hymn of invitation, we're going to keep singing this song until everybody does the business with the Lord that they need to do. The altar is open for you to come pray. I encourage you to have conversations that you may need to have. And if you say, well, we don't know or we've never seen what the Lord is, is encouraging me to do, you've never seen someone spit in someone's face and be healed from being blind either. Just as an encouragement. And so I want you to move as the Lord leads you. And invite you to come to the altar and pray. Kishab Baptist Church, I want you to know that uh, I love you. And I care about you. And I want you to know that I care much more about us being godly and holy and receiving a well-done, good and faithful servant than I do about any of us being happy. I just want you to know that it's impossible to understand the love that God gives a pastor for his church, unless you've been there.
had no idea that it was possible to love as motley of a crew as us here this morning. Right? But I do. I can look each and every one of you in the eyes and tell you that from the bottom of my heart, if I could do anything to serve you or show you love in any way, shape, or form, I would do it. And that the hardest thing I've ever experienced as a pastor is to come to your house or your home or the hospital and not be able to get you out of whatever painful situation you're in. There's no magic words to say to, to fix your, your whatever you're walking through. And it's hard. I can tell you that if we'll turn to the Lord and we'll repent of our sins, I'll sit beside you and I'll tell you about a God who can fix all of your problems. And I'll keep loving you. But I can't keep doing it unless we turn to the Lord. I love you. I want you to know that this church service isn't the end of it either. There's a tough road ahead to right the ship. I want you to hang with us and our leaders until we get this thing pointed in the right direction. Amen? Let me close this with a word of prayer. God, I thank you for our church. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who sits on the throne. I thank you that nothing can knock him off his throne. And Lord, I thank you that our enemy, Satan, has already been defeated. We're merely meddling with battles right now. God, I pray that you would deliver us. Lord, I pray that you would show us refreshing times ahead and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.